0: Republicans voted for me in the Senate to substitute its judgment for the people in picking a president. They are ready for someone to take the reins. We need more engagement in this public discourse and not less. Just listen. I think that's what I need to do. Is just really listen. What's up, Tennessee? And happy Friday. Welcome to Tristar Talk. I'm Jeff Patterson here to give you the latest on Tennessee politics. Please subscribe if you haven't yet so you can continue to get great content. We're available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. You can also follow us at Tristar Talk. Dolly Parton recorded her reading of "Lama Llama Red Pajama from Dolly's Library. Governor Lee announced that as of now, there are no concrete plans to reopen the state, but that his new economic recovery group would be working towards a path forward. We're looking to the Economic Recovery Group to provide a strategy to a phased opening. We haven't made decisions yet on how we'll reopen specifically, but certainly geography will factor into that, said Governor Lee. We need Tennesseans to go back to work, but we also need everyone to recognize that physical distancing must continue for the foreseeable future. We have a serious risk that this disease could come roaring back and erase all the progress we've made. Until a vaccine or therapy is widely available, the virus will be a present reality." And that makes sense to make the decisions geographically. Some areas, like Nashville, are doing a much better job at containing the spread of the virus, but other areas are still working to get the transmission rates down. In the United States, it's very difficult to compare states to states, said Dr. David Arnoff, director of the Division of Infectious Diseases at Vanderbilt University's Medical Center. Testing is different. Population is different. Health disparities are different. Reporting might be different. That applies to states. It applies to cities. For example, Kentucky has fewer confirmed cases in total and on a per capita basis, but Tennessee is tested at nearly double the rate of Kentucky with more than 1,100 tests per 100,000 residents compared to 620 for Kentucky. But in Governor Lee's plan to ramp up the economy and to have leaders giving him insights on the steps we need to take moving forward, he failed to include workers or labor representatives in his group. And it's unsurprising because Lee has been hostile to workers' rights in the past. But it's absolutely ridiculous to not include gig workers, small business owners, or anyone specifically focused on representing people who are self-employed. This is all extremely important to the economic recovery of the state and it's a a pretty bad oversight on Governor Lee's part. Governor Lee also announced the creation of the Stimulus Financial Accountability Group to ensure proper fiscal management of stimulus funds received by the state through the Coronavirus Relief Fund created by the CARES Act. The state of Tennessee projects a distribution of around $2.3 billion from the fund. The CARES Act has given our state critical relief to help mitigate the spread of COVID-19 and begin to reopen Tennessee's economy, Lee said. We must ensure that these funds are spent wisely and effectively, and I'm grateful to the members of this group for their valuable input. Health officials are rapidly expanding their teams that track who may have come in contact with a COVID-19 patient. This kind of contact tracing is becoming increasingly important, as Tennesseans consider lifting restrictions on the economy. One of the benefits of the safer-at-home order is that if someone does get sick, it's not hard to figure out who they've been in contact with. It's probably the people they've been in their home with. It's it's family members. But it gets complicated when we open back up because you're in contact with more people if you're, if you're going out or if businesses are open widely, and it's harder to trace. And then we're just starting all this all over again. With more interactions comes more contacts, so we're looking to add additional staff and expand our program, Nashville's lead epidemiologist Leslie Waller said. Meanwhile, the Tennessee Department of Health is looking for 300 workers to volunteer for temporary positions. The mayors of Tennessee's four largest cities have created a task force to coordinate the reopening of local economies and recovery of businesses impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic. The self-titled Big Four. Why? Why'd they they self-title? Mayor John Cooper of Nashville, Mayor Jim Strickland of Memphis, Mayor India King Canada of Knoxville, and Mayor Andy Burke of Chattanooga each appointed business and health leaders to work together to evaluate when to lift restrictions implemented during the pandemic. The Tennessee Major Metro's Economic Restart Task Force announced Thursday afternoon will be an organized way of sharing input and working with Governor Lee for a statewide solution as officials deliberate on reopening scenarios the mayor's announced in a statement. As employment centers and healthcare providers for their regions, the four metro areas must coordinate and help inform the statewide approach, Cooper said. Our challenge is restarting our economy with protocols to protect public health. President Trump gave governors a three-phase plan to reopen the economy. And to give a brief summary, in phase one, the plan recommends strict social distancing for all people in public. Gatherings larger than 10 people are to be avoided and non-essential travel is discouraged. In phase two, People are encouraged to maximize social distancing where possible and limit gatherings to no more than 50 people unless precautionary measures are taken. Travel could resume. And Phase 3 envisions a return to normalcy for most Americans with a focus on identification and isolation on any new infections. At the earliest, some parts of the country could see a resumption in normal commerce and social gatherings after a month of evaluating whether easing up on restrictions has led to a resurgence in virus cases in other parts of the country, or if viruses, virus cases pick up, it could be substantially longer. Mark Green praised Trump's plan, saying that his three-phase reopening plan is a smart one. Phasing the reopening of our country is practical, and this plan lays the groundwork to ensure each state and governor will have the ability to implement this in a unique way based on the needs of the state. The U.S. has erased virtually all of the jobs gained since the Great Recession, according to the Labor Department figures. So we, we lost the equivalent of the jobs gained since then. Now, hopefully we can see all those people return to work soon. But I think that's just a totally pie in the sky idea that we're, we're going to return to strength soon. The way this crisis crippled our workforce and how so many can't go to work and, and, and shouldn't go to work. And the government is not responding quickly. And there aren't bold solutions to how we're handling this. Canada is at least paying people for the next four months. We just had a one-time check that isn't sufficient for a lot of people to see them through this crisis indefinitely. And it's still not safe to go to work, and government assistance is going to be the most effective way of dealing with this. And why and why this response isn't <laughs> isn't even close to being good enough is because we don't have widespread testing still. So we're we're giving plans for these governments to start reopening in a month if things look good, but there's no there's no encouragement here to test more. There isn't more assistance to test more people quickly. It doesn't It doesn't make any sense to say all the numbers are looking good when we don't even have the numbers. It's, it's reckless. I think it's pretty irresponsible. I don't think that we're going to see this virus go away if our priority is to force people to go back into public again. I know people want to do that and maybe there's better ways of doing it, but ultimately the priority here isn't people's health. It is Donald Trump wanting the economy to ...be up and running again because the only way he wins re-election is if the economy is still good. His his overall favorability isn't great and people's perception of the economy is really what's going what's gonna to save him. And I think that's his priority. I think he's just focused on his own re-election efforts and not on the health of the people here in Tennessee. So more news on China. I bring this up again because our Tennessee Republican politicians want to make China the focus of this crisis... It may score them some easy points, looking tough, but it's really just picking the low-hanging fruit with with the unfavorability towards China being so high and the fact that the virus did originate there. It's just easy to, to put all the blame on them. I've also seen some, including Representative Mark Green, who say that it's important to differentiate between the Chinese government and its people and say that we need to enforce sanctions against China and cripple their economy in response to this crisis, that we need to attack the, the Chinese government by doing these things, but the only people you're really hurting by that are, are the Chinese people who are also suffering, who are also dying. It makes no sense to me. The only thing that does make sense is to coordinate a global response to this virus and have all countries working together to do whatever we can to contain this. And at, at this point, nobody wins by just yelling about China. I, it, I understand we're mad that they lied, that they weren't more forthcoming. But what's the likelihood of them being more forthcoming right now? it doesn't work to their political advantage either. And I and I don't think that we look like the moral heroes here because we've had some very very serious shortcomings in how we've dealt with this and how and how president trump also pushed a lot of a lot of lies about about this virus, including about the hydroxychloroquine when it wasn't even proven to work and there there is this tendency for a lot of pundits and the president himself to compare it to the flu and they're not the same at all, and, and doc, all the doctors agree in that. Dr. Fauci even says not to com- make that comparison – U.S. response should focus on establishing the facts surrounding the virus's origins and China's early missteps in a credible, impartial, and scientific manner and not just in, through this purely political lens. And, and this approach makes sense because, one, the facts themselves, if, if they're reported and if the information is credible, will probably be pretty damning all on their own. And letting the facts speak for themselves will be much more convincing for a lot of people. And without a doubt, China's failure to be more transparent makes them look pretty bad to the rest of the world. Uh, It's also true, however, that the United States is the current epicenter of the pandemic. And that's in no small part because of the horrible response that we've had. And what we don't need is people like fucking Charlie Kirk, who, this guy's such a joke, but he tweeted out Americans hold one trillion in Chinese debt from the 1920s. Sovereign debt bonds never expire or unset. We have huge leverage over China. Trump should submit a put option and demand China pay back their debt or else 100% sanctions will be applied. Make them pay. This is, so this hits on one of those points that I was mentioning earlier that people are just like, sanction them. Sanctions will cripple their economy, meaning that it's just going to hurt the people there that are already suffering. But anyway, Chris Hale had another take. He's the candidate in the Tennessee 4th. He said, this is flat out false. Are you literally the biggest dumbass that God ever made? Did your mind go missing at conception? This is the most agitated I think I've ever seen Chris Hale on Twitter before. But I love it. I think he's absolutely right. And, uh, you know, I haven't seen... specifics on what he's referring to about Chinese debt from the 1920s, but I do know that as of 2020, China holds about a trillion of U.S. debt, so so what's the leverage exactly? Also, we we don't need Marcia talking about this stuff either when her response is just calling for the Chinese government to publicly say there is no evidence suggesting COVID-19 started anywhere else besides China. Is that that's how you're getting tough? Get them to say it didn't start elsewhere. That what what's the advantage of that right now? It's it's just a publicity fight. It doesn't. Does it get us closer to a vaccine? Do we suddenly have widespread testing? Do we have enough PPE? Can we can we go back to work? Is it all good now that China if China admitted that would things be better? President Trump, he said China just announced a doubling in the number of their deaths from the invisible enemy. It is far higher than that and far higher than the U.S., not even close. He's literally bragging about how how they doubled their deaths. He's talking about people dying like he's he's getting some points. It's desperate. He needs the economy to do well if he wants to be reelected because it's not doing well. And he has absolutely no plan to really fix it because he's not interested in helping people. He's not interested in the widespread testing. He's interested in things looking like they're doing okay. And I'm fully confident that if the economy reopens, even if scientists, even if the experts are saying things are getting worse, we're not going to change and we're not going to do the things that we need to do. Not not across the country anyway. I think there will be some parts of the country That will want to continue to handle this very seriously. But unfortunately, I can't really say how Bill Lee is going to continue continue to handle this. From the very beginning, it seems like his priority has been the economy, even at the expense of catching this thing early. On a related note, April 17th is National Bat Appreciation Day. (laughs) How timely. I didn't, know. I didn't know about this day, but bats play an important role in many ecosystems around the world. They are crucial pollinators for cactus species and many other tropical plants. They help control insect populations and also disperse seeds. They are an incredibly important animal for the environment and, and need our protection and support, and we, we shouldn't blame this all on the bats, okay? We, we shouldn't blame it on the bats, but if only China had that mindset. You know, there were reports that the coronavirus started in Chinese labs, but what if I told you I had the real answer? What if you knew that a highly respected, Nobel Prize winning scientist with a rare blood condition was working at that lab in Wuhan? What if that scientist was working on a cure for his rare blood condition, involving bat DNA and electroshock therapy? Instead, he became infected with a far Worse condition. He also gained the ability to turn others by biting them, infecting them with a disease. The coronavirus? Is this what really happened? Maybe. Maybe not. But we can speculate wildly as to whether something similar may have been going on. New music update: if you haven't listened to the new DaBaby Baby album, don't. Don't. It's so bad. It's garbage. And, and because it was so bad, it, it ruined the music update. Election news. Let's talk about Vote by Mail. A new report that came out, it was called the Neutral Partisan Effects of Vote by Mail, Evidence from County-Level Rollouts by Daniel Thompson, Jennifer Wu, Jesse Yoder, Andrew Hall from the Democracy and Polarization Lab at Stanford University. That report says that in response to COVID-19, many scholars and policymakers are urging the U.S. to implement a nationwide system of voting by mail to safeguard the electoral process. So what are the effects of vote by mail? In the paper, they provide a comprehensive design-based analysis of the effect of vote by mail on electoral outcomes. They collected data from 1996 to 2018 on all three U.S. states who implemented vote by mail in a staggered fashion across counties, allowing them to use a difference-in-difference design, at the county level to estimate the causal effect of vote by mail programs, they find that one, vote by mail does not appear to affect either party's share of turnout, two, vote by mail does not appear to increase either party's vote share, and three, vote by mail modestly increases overall average turnout rates in lines with previous estimates by about two to three percent. All three conclusions support the conventional wisdom of election administration experts and contradict many popular claims in the media. So their findings do have two main caveats. First, the evidence is about the effects of counties opting into vote-by-mail programs during normal times. That is, the counterfactual we are comparing vote-by-mail to is normally administered in-person elections. The effects of vote-by-mail relative to the counterfactual of an in-person election during COVID-19 might be quite different, and the effect would depend on whether we believe COVID-19 disproportionately deters Democrats or Republicans from voting, which, which we don't know at this point, really. Second, the results say nothing about whether vote-by-mail should be implemented nationwide. There may be reasons to worry about rolling out nationwide vote-by-mail that they can't study. For example... It might have a disparate impact on minority votes, who some claim utilize vote-by-mail at a lower rate, or it may simply be too expensive to administer to be worth the cost. Finally, even if vote-by-mail did have partisan effects, there still might be good reason to support it as policy. But claims that vote-by-mail fundamentally advantages one party over the other appear overblown, says the study. In normal times, based on the data, vote-by-mail modestly increases participation while not advantaging either party. And you know the the coronavirus has made congregating in small enclosed spaces dangerous. At many polling places, voters, particularly of color and from poor communities, already wait in long crowded lines to vote. If you'll remember in in Texas in the most recent primary, people waited all day long in a line to vote. We must be able to run free fair, and safe elections in November. The virus will almost certainly strike again this fall. That makes vote-by-mail an essential way for voters to stay safe while exercising their right to choose who governs them. I do want to compare here, so South Korea recently had in-person voting in the midst of this. They were the world's first nationwide vote of the coronavirus era. And more than 29 million people, 66% of the electorate, which was the highest turnout they'd had in nearly three decades, cast ballots to choose 300 new members for the National Assembly. And their polling stations looked a little bit like this. Everyone was equipped with hand sanitizer and disposable gloves. Voters wore masks and stand far apart. They had their temperatures checked at the entrances. But I'm concerned about this. I don't want us to use South Korea as an example because they've... They've been on top of this virus the entire time. They've managed to get their numbers under control and they were far more effective and and took much bolder steps early on to fight this. And we're not even close with with how we've handled it. It's a very different population and I don't want us to assume that, that that's just a transferable method. I also want to highlight quickly James Mackler's campaign. I read recently that federal officials launched an investigation into allegations that the Department of Veterans Affairs is putting its healthcare workers in danger as they continue to work on the front lines fighting coronavirus, according to the Department of Labor. The OSHA investigation comes in response to a VA union complaint last week that medical workers who were exposed to infected patients did not receive coronavirus testing and lacked sufficient protective equipment, including N95 respirators, eye protection, face masks, and gowns. And I saw this because James Mackler brought it to my attention. He is a veteran. He is running to take over Lamar Alexander's seat. I think we need his ideas. I think we need his leadership. And he'd be a good fit for Tennessee. It looks like he's probably going to be the, the nominee here in Tennessee. And and I would certainly take him over, over Bill Haggerty. I think Bill Haggerty is just going to be a, a voice for Trump. He's just going to parrot everything he says or everything that Marsha says. I don't think that's what Tennessee needs. I think Tennessee needs better leadership. Um, So I'm going to continue to watch his race And I I encourage you to as well And if you have a candidate that you really, really like Mention them We can maybe have a discussion Some of the other uh, Senate candidates on the left anyway Haven't been as active They maybe haven't gotten as much support And I know this isn't Mackler's first run He's already got some good name recognition So that's an advantage for him But ultimately I just want whoever would be best for Tennessee I think that's important But that's it for the show today Again, don't forget to subscribe. If you haven't yet, we're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Tristar Talk. I'm Jeff Patterson. Thanks for listening.